What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? I can think of a few things that I could answer to that question, but really thinking about the moment in my life that was the most difficult, the moment in my life where I had so much going on, even people close to me looking at everything that I was doing wondered how on earth I managed to do everything. It was probably the time when I was completing my master's degree. I was living by myself, but I was working three jobs. I was already a teacher, I worked at Disney, and I worked at Pottery Barn. And I was holding those three jobs while going to school, pretty much full-time for a master's degree, so taking three or four classes per term. And I was working six and seven days a week, going to school three nights a week, and doing all of this while at the same time volunteering at church and maintaining somewhat of a social life. And people wondered how I managed to squeeze all of this stuff into 24 hours of the day. And honestly, looking back now, I wonder the same thing. But the reason I ask what is the hardest thing you've ever had to do is because we very often are faced with things like resolutions or goals or um, plans that we have that when we get them started, we are really gung-ho and really excited about them. And then a couple of days, a couple of weeks go by and we feel that excitement dwindle and we feel the motivation to keep going kind of die away and kind of disappear. And I started to think about what it is that allows us to maintain motivation at certain moments while at others, it just seems so fleeting and so short-lived. And also thinking about certain people that we all know, we all know somebody like this, that can tackle 20 tasks at the same time and do them all effectively and do them all so well, or that anytime they set their mind to something, they seem to achieve it and everything seems to come almost easy to them. And then those of us who struggle to reach our goals or who struggle to keep focused on whatever it is that we want and whatever it is that is before us. So I thought that what might be productive today, especially as we reach the end of the month of January, when most of the New Year's resolutions are starting to fade away, when all of us are starting to wonder where our focus gets to be moving forward, and as we start seeing the calendar pages just kind of flip by really quickly, think about what it is that allows us to maintain motivation, how we can create that and cultivate that, so that we can stay focused on the things that really matter to us and continue to create in this new year, moving forward and all throughout the 12 months of the year, the things that we decided at the beginning of the year that we were going to do and how do we maintain that momentum moving forward so that we don't give up on our dreams. Are you ready for this conversation on motivation? Let's dive right in. So there are a million and a half theories out there, I'm exaggerating, but there's a ton of theories out there about 
what is motivation, where does motivation come from, and how do we maintain it? We all generally agree that there are two main types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic, right? So the motivation that comes from within ourselves and the motivation that comes from external outside sources. For the most part, most experts agree that cultivating intrinsic motivation is a lot more effective and a lot more lasting, right? A longer lift than extrinsic or outside motivation. And we've all known this, right? Think back to when you were younger, when you were a child, or think to, if you're a parent, think to your own children. Can our parents get us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do? Of course they can. They have a lot of leverage to do that. And for the most part, parents are really good at finding that leverage and figuring out how to get us to do the things that they feel we should do. The problem is, for most of us, when the parents aren't watching or when the parents aren't pushing, then that thing no longer gets done, right? So think about the stage in our life when I never went through that one because I love showering, but the stage in our life when showers and baths are just not the thing. Any parent can get their child to take a shower or to take a bath. But if the parent's not there, if it's a babysitter or if it's a grandma or if it's a friend that's taking care of the kids, then it becomes harder because then mom and dad with the leverage are no longer there to get us to take that shower or that bath. So any moment in life, we can think about uh, experiences where we've had outside forces propel us to engage in doing something that we don't necessarily want to do. And as long as that external force is still there, it's still present, we can still see it or perceive it. Or if we fear that they might see or perceive whether we're doing it or not, then we are motivated to continue going. I'm reminded of a coworker I had when I worked at a bank and um, he was this extremely caring and kind and, um, just kind-hearted gentleman like he was the epitome of what being a gentleman is in my mind he was courteous he was kind he was respectful he was always serviceable and helping people and i remember one time i was talking to him and i said you know you are such a gentleman you are so respectful and so kind and he just chuckled a little bit and i looked at him and i said what what's going on and he said well honestly I can envision my mom's slipper flying through from the house to wherever I am, hitting me in the head if I ever do anything that's disrespectful, especially to a lady. And so I thought that was kind of funny because even though his mom was nowhere near, in his mind, he perceived like she would in intuitively know if he was being disrespectful. And the fear that she might show up and throw something at him if he was disrespectful in any way was enough to keep him motivated to be respectful and to be kind and to be all these other things, right? So it's either the real or the perceived notion that that force that gives us the, the extrinsic quote-unquote motivation is going to be present in some way and perceive or see whether we do the thing or not that might keep us going. But at the second, the moment, we feel like that force is no longer in place, then we lose the motivation. There's no reason to keep it going because there's no one to see whether we're doing it or not, right? But so um, it's easy to see, right? So it's easy to see how extrinsic motivation might be 
less effective long term than intrinsic motivation, right? Because we can't escape ourselves. So if the motivation is coming from within us, if the motivation is internal, if we have a central locus of control when it comes to whatever it is that we believe we get to do, then and only then will we be internally motivated to do it. And that is a harder motivation to escape because it comes from within us and we can't escape ourselves, right? The problem is on whether that motivation is real or whether that motivation is momentary, thinking about immediate or short-term results. And then if we see that, the results are not coming within a window of time, or if we perceive that our efforts are not yielding the result that we were initially motivated to get, then our motivation dwindles as well, right? So most of us, no, not most of us, all of us, in one respect or another, we're motivated either by avoiding pain or gaining pleasure, right? Those are the main two internal motivators. It's either I want to escape this painful or uncomfortable or unpleasant thing. So I'm going to do this so that I can escape this painful or unpleasant thing. Um, an example of this is when I was really, really overweight. And I've told you this story before. I realized that I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And I started to think, and I was single at the time, and I started to think, Marcy, there's no way anybody else is going to want to look at you if you can't even look at yourself. Nobody's going to love you if you can't love yourself. So I started taking some steps towards loving myself more, towards accepting myself more, towards changing what I didn't like. And the motivation behind that was avoiding this pain of knowing that I couldn't even look myself in the mirror, right? But then on the other hand, the other internal motivator is going towards something that's pleasurable, going towards something that is nice and that you want to have, right? So, I don't know, um, putting together a wedding, for example, is a lot of work. And <laughs> brides get a lot of criticism and crap because bridezillas or they get all intense about it. But there's a lot of work and emotion and all these things that are happening in this process. But what keeps brides going through it all is the idea of this beautiful, pleasurable moment of the wedding, the ceremony itself, the sharing with families, the exchanging of vows with the person that they love. All these things keep the brides going because they want to achieve this pleasurable thing, right? And those are, of course, just very simple examples. But you see the point. Anything that you do that is internally motivated, anything that you start that is internally motivated, it's internally um, processed through or it's initiated by one of these two main desires, the desire to avoid pain or the desire to uh, achieve pleasure or increase pleasure in some area. So far, so good. Yeah. But when it comes to maintaining the motivation, because even that can fade, right? Like I, I had lost weight several times before I actually kept it off. And every time I had pain to avoid or every time I had reasons why it was important or every time I had, right? But what made the difference this time? When something pleasurable is about to happen, like you're moving because you know that you're going to have better school district for your kids or whatever that might be. And you're in the process of moving, but maybe halfway through you're like, you know what? I don't know that I want to do this. 
what keeps you going so that you actually take the steps, the hard work, the things that you get to do that might not be as nice and pleasurable as actually just staying where you are and staying put. What makes the difference and how can you maintain that motivation moving forward? Well, my favorite theory when it comes to this is actually self-determination theory. You might have heard it. You can research it. You can look it up. But I just want to touch on the three main points of self-determination theory and talk a little bit more about how we can capitalize those three elements and use them in our favor, really tap into those three elements so that we can maintain the momentum and the motivation going when the going gets tough, when things get hard, when we are no longer sure that this is really what we should be doing, and maybe even help us determine and decide whether it is worth doing, because not everything that you start is really worth finishing or pursuing. You have to weigh things out. And self-determination theory, I think, allows for both, right? It allows for you to maintain the motivation on what's really important, but also sift through all the possibilities and look at the things that you get to say no to. Look at the things that are not necessarily worth the effort, the time, the energy that you're spending, and maybe shift the focus into something that is. So before we dive right in. I want to say this. Motivation is one of those things that everybody talks about, but very few people really understand and very few people really know how to capitalize and leverage it, right? So our conversation today is going to be focused more on the things that we can do to enhance this intrinsic motivation. So what that means is if you are looking for ways to help others achieve this level of motivation or help others maintain motivation so that your team can advance, so that things can progress, so that the projects will get completed in a timely manner, so that things move forward with other people involved, then that's a different conversation. But you can always start by helping your team develop the self-leadership that it takes. And you're going to see why that is important in a minute. But if you can help your team develop the self-leadership that it takes to be intrinsically motivated, to stay the course, to finish what they start, to complete their commitments, and to do the things that they say they're going to do, then this conversation of motivation will not be a factor. It will not be as important as you might believe it to be right now. I um, had tons of conversations, for example, with parents of teens who are like, oh, but they're so unmotivated. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to get out of their room. And it's really difficult, especially for someone who sees potential and value in another human being to see them wasting away their potential and their possibilities and their opportunities. And you want to light a fire under their butt and get them to move and do the things that they need to do. But the problem is, like we said at the beginning, extrinsic motivation, you can tap into it and you can use it, but it's not going to be really long-term. It's not going to last long-term. So if you want something that lasts and you're thinking about your team, you're thinking about your family members, you're thinking about your kids, you're thinking about your spouse, you're thinking about anybody other than yourself, the only true avenue 
to lasting motivation for anybody outside of yourself is to help them see the value in working on their self-leadership. And once their self-leadership is where it's supposed to be, then this element of motivation will start increasing exponentially. So as they work on their self-leadership, their motivation for the right things is going to increase as well. So what I would say is if your concern is for motivating others, then I would suggest that you head on over to marciamaro.com and you schedule a path paving talk and we can talk about how we can extend the idea of working on self-leadership to those people in your team, in your family, in your work group, in whatever it is that you're concerned with, your spouse, whoever that might be, so that they might pursue working on their self-leadership and I can definitely help them work on that if that's where the conversation gets to go. But again, if your concern is for anybody other than yourself, head on over to marciamaro.com, schedule a path paving call. We will talk for about 30 minutes. We will see where your preoccupation is. We will see what your concern is, and we'll figure out the best way to start helping the people in your circle, the people in your team, the people that you are concerned about to work on their self-leadership so that as they increase and enhance their self-leadership, their motivation increases as well, right? Okay, so tangent done. <laughs> that being said, let's dive into the elements of the self determination theory and see how they relate to maintaining motivation. So just as a summary, the three elements are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. I talk so much about competence that there's a reason for that, right? But self-determination theory says that the three elements that will help us maintain motivation, actually tap into and maintain motivation are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So let's take each one independently. So when it comes to autonomy, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. If you don't believe you have any control or any say over whatever it is that you are pursuing over the task, then your motivation dwindles. Because if you don't feel you have control over it, then what's the point? If you can't change it, if you can't in any way, shape, or form transform or mold or change it, then you're not going to be motivated to work towards it or to do anything related to it, right? So autonomy is pretty self-explanatory, but what I want to tap into here when it comes to motivation is the connection between autonomy and accountability. So autonomy and accountability, in my mind, are so interrelated and so connected that they almost become two sides of the same coin. You cannot really have true autonomy in anything if you don't understand and exercise your accountability in that same thing. So let me clarify something. We often talk about holding someone accountable or being held accountable for the truth of the matter is that the only one that can hold yourself accountable is you because you are the only one who truly knows what your commitment is, what you're doing, and how far you're getting in that commitment or in the thing that you're doing. So accountability, ultimately, as far as I see it, especially in the context of self-leadership, accountability is taking full 100% responsibility for your actions, your decisions, and the results that you produce, right? So responsibility, 100% responsibility for your actions, your results, and the things that you do, yes? So when you are 100% accountable 
you look at whatever it is that is in front of you, whatever it is that you are looking to produce or create, and you understand all the ways in which you are 100% responsible for whatever happens within that space. So let's say, for example, that what you're working towards is exercising more or being more active. If you start looking at, well, but I have to take the kids to school, I have eight hours at work, I have to cook, I have to clean, I have to spend time with my spouse, my spouse won't let me leave. I, anytime you look at outside things, outside forces, outside energies, outside people, anybody other than yourself as having any true say on whether this thing gets done or not, you are not assuming 100% responsibility for that thing and you are putting the responsibility on someone else, which makes you a victim. I'm going to say that again. If you are not assuming 100% responsibility for whatever it is that you're attempting to do and you're putting any level of responsibility on anything other than you, then you become a victim or a slave to whatever that other thing outside force is. And I use those words very, very deliberately. When you, for example, think, I want to work out, I need to be more active because my health depends on it because I want to see my grandkids because I want to achieve this thing, whatever the, the reason might be. And you allow yourself to think, but wait, my job, but wait, my kids, but wait, my spouse. What you're doing is you are making those other things and those other people your masters. They're controlling, they're dictating what you get and what you don't get to do. Now, if you are assuming 100% responsibility and you're holding yourself accountable and you're saying, you know what, I am going to do this thing because it is important to me and I have 100% responsibility on whether it gets done or not, guess what happens? You find the time, you find the way, you find the resources, you find the, the reasons and the ways and everything, just you figure it out because it is 100% up to you. And yes, there are other people that might be affected by it in one way or another, but that's also your responsibility, right? So if you know that you are going to have to leave from six to seven at night to go work out, and that was the time that you normally helped your kid with homework, then it is your responsibility still to sit your kid down and say, look, I know this is the time we normally do homework, but I get to do this because it's important to me. And ultimately, you're going to see how it is going to help me be a better mom to you. So we are going to figure out when is another good time that I can help you with homework or what is another resource that you can use so that your homework still gets done or recruit your husband enroll your husband or your spouse into helping the kid with the homework while you go work out. You figure it out. But when you are 100% in responsibility and you are 100% accountable for this thing, then the autonomy that you have, the control that you have over this thing doesn't allow you to use any other excuses to get out of it because you are 100% responsible for the result. And that puts you in a position where if you want to be able to live with yourself, if you want to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, look, 
I did the best that I could, or I really did try everything, or I really did whatever, then you get to really do and try. So again, autonomy has to do with what you can control and with assuming 100% responsibility of that thing that you know you can control. And once you're in full responsibility, the only thing that can stop you is you. The second element, like I said, is competence. And competence is all about what you can do. What you can do. Now, one thing that stops us very, very, very often and lessens our motivation, right? Gets rid of our motivation, makes it so that our motivation is just, it disappears, it goes away, is when we feel like we are not capable of doing the thing that we want to do or like we don't have the resources or the skill to do what gets to be done. So if I'm thinking that in order for me to lose weight, I have to run a mile every day and I have never run a day in my life, then I am going to be really motivated the first day and I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to run this mile and I might actually run it, but it's going to take me really long. I'm going to be really sore. It's going to be really awkward and difficult. I'm go probably going to be out of breath. I'm going to feel like death at the end of it is going to be so incredibly hard but I'm not going to be able to do it sustainably. And so my motivation is going to continue to dwindle and disappear every time I try to force myself through willpower or whatever it might be to do this thing that I don't have the competence to do, that I don't have the skill or the ability to do. The way that we use competence to help maintain and build our motivation is by figuring out how we can focus on progress and how we can build on the skill and the competence that we do have so that in time we are increasing our competence and seeing our progress and our progression forward, right? So in the example of wanting to run, if I have never run a day in my life and I think, well, I get to run a mile every day so that I can get in really good shape, then I might start by instead of running the mile, walking and not even the mile, walking five minutes. If I've never moved, walking five or 10 minutes is going to be plenty, right? So I start by moving, by walking five, 10 minutes. Maybe I walk a block. Maybe I walk two blocks. I don't know. Then the next day, like Zig Ziglar used to say, I walk a block and a mailbox. We don't have mailboxes anymore, but you get the point, right? So I walk a block and a half and I progressively increase the amount of walking that I do. And then I start running a little bit at the end of my walk, or I start incorporating some running in the process. Or I get the app that is from couch to 5K or something like that is what it's called. And it literally walks you through the process of going from being a couch potato that never moves to running 5K. And I start going through the progress of slowly building up to being able to run the 5K, right? But I have to build my skill level. I have to build my ability to do this thing. And competence allows me to see that I might be starting at unconsciously incompetent. I don't even know what I don't know. I don't even know what is involved in running. But by the end of the process, I will be in mastery if I persist, if I keep going. And again, that takes me back to that connection of responsibility. So I know it's up to me to build my competence and my skill. And there are many different ways to do this, right? Like you can get an app, you can go read a book, you can go, depending on what skill it is that you're working on, right? But the shortest path 
to mastery is actually to connect with someone who has mastered what you're looking to master. That's why mentors and coaches and trainers and consultants are so important in the industry today, because we are understanding more and more and more and more that the shortest path to mastery in whatever it is that we're trying to master in whatever it is that we're trying to do is to enlist the help and the guidance and the wisdom of someone who already masters what we're attempting to master. Make sense? So if you're looking to maintain your motivation and you are struggling because of lack of competence in whatever skill it is that you need in order to perform or achieve the task that you're looking to do, then enlist the help of a mentor or a coach. If you're looking to perfect your messaging, to give presentations that are impactful, to use your story in order to sell your products or services or advance your cause. Someone like me is someone that you might want to look into collaborating with and enrolling and hiring and investing in so that I can help you shortcut your learning curve and help you figure out how to do this in the most effective, fastest way possible so that you're no longer struggling with lack of competence in that area, right? But if it's not me, then someone else that has walked the journey that you're down, that has crossed the gap and reached the other side, and that can help you do the same in the shortest time time span possible, right? Make sense? So building your competence is the second thing that is going to increase and maintain your motivation, because as you are slowly, incrementally building your skill and your ability to do the thing, Time is passing and your motivation continues to be there because you're seeing the slow progression. And one important thing to highlight here is that the only way that building your competence is going to increase your ability to maintain your motivation is if you're focusing on the gain and not the gap. And that's a, a book, The Gap and the Gain. I suggest you read it, Dan Sullivan. It's a great book. But if you are looking to use your competence as a way to increase your motivation or maintain your motivation, it's important that instead of measuring your progress by where you're at, looking forward to what the ideal end goal is, which is the gap, right? If you do that, then you're just focusing on everything that you don't have, everything that's still missing. So instead of doing that, measure your progress the way you should by looking backwards to see how far you've come from where you started and celebrate how far you've come from where you started. So if you're, again, let's use the example of running because it's a simple example to visualize. So if I'm looking to run a mile and I'm at the point where I can only run 30 steps and I'm exaggerating, right? I am going to get really, really disappointed and lose all my motivation if I look at the 30 steps I ran and I think, ugh, I still have 0.973 miles to be able to run. I'm never going to be motivated by that because I'm just thinking that feels impossible. I can't do this. But if instead I look at, well, yesterday I was sitting on a couch and I could barely get up without every bone in my body creaking and making noises. And I couldn't walk 20 steps without running out of breath. And now I'm walking. 30 steps, or I'm walking 100 yards, or I'm doing whatever it is that you're doing at that point, and you see the progress, you see where you were and where you are now, and you see that you have advanced, then that increases your motivation because then you can think, oh, wait a minute, I am now walking 100 feet. If I can walk 100 feet today, 
then that means that tomorrow I can walk 101. And that is going to keep me motivated. That is going to help me maintain my motivation, right? So in terms of competence, focus on the gain and not on the gap, right? So now you are completely 100% responsible and you're looking at the things that you can control and you're focusing on being autonomous and being in control of what you can, which is pretty much everything that you want to achieve because you're 100% responsible for your life, right? You're not victim to anybody or anything anymore. And then you're looking at building your competence while focusing on the gain, on how much you're advancing and progressing. And then the final element to moving towards maintaining your motivation is this concept of relatedness. And relatedness has to do with feeling connected and like you belong. So when people tell you, focus on your why, make sure you have a very strong why and that your why is bigger than yourself because that is what's going to get you past the hard times. This is what they're talking about, this relatedness element. When you are connected, not just to what your goal can do for you or what achieving this task or getting to the space that you're trying to get to can do for you, but when you're connected to how it can help advance others, how it can help you be better for others, how it can help you connect with a greater cause, how it can help you eradicate something that you know shouldn't exist or how it can help you move forward in the direction of creating something big, a movement, uh, advancing a cause, advance, advancing a brand that can help a bunch of other people. And you can see how you achieving this thing Staying motivated, staying focused, staying in responsibility, growing consistently, how all those things can help you connect to a grander purpose, to a great why, then that motivation is going to keep you moving past those moments when maybe instead of going forward, you went a little bit backwards, right? Like I was supposed to walk... 100, I don't know, I was supposed to walk 1,003 steps today and I actually got to 990 and I couldn't walk anymore, right? But see how I keep going is because I know that once I reach that mile, then I'll be in this space where I can go play soccer with my kid and spend a lot of time with them or where I know my health is going to improve to the point where I can spend time with my grandkids or where I know I will have the energy to go teach others how to do the same thing. And when you can connect to that grander why, then those setbacks don't feel as strong. When you start to feel, wait a minute, all these people are putting all this pressure on me and I'm starting to feel pulled in a million different directions, and all of these demands on me are making it so that I don't have the time to do this thing that I know can help me advance, then tapping into your wise is what's going to help you set stronger boundaries and say no to some things and tell people that you love lovingly, look, I get to do this thing. Once I finish this thing, then we can figure out how to do this other thing that you want me to help you with. But I get to do this first. And you get to establish those boundaries and maintain them and keep them. Because you know that ultimately, this thing that you're doing is not just for you. It's for this grander purpose that will actually possibly impact the same person that is putting all these demands on you. And you get to retrain people into accepting those boundaries because your why is so important. And you get to establish true 
not just boundaries, but a delineation of what the responsibility, what the relationship gets to be like, so that you are not falling into victim or into slave to this other pe person or people, but you continue to be in full 100% responsibility and control within the space and still get to feel connected to this other person and help them in whatever it is that they need help with. Make sense? So yes, ultimately, this sense of connectedness, this knowing that what you're doing is not a disconnected, disenfranchised thing that you're doing just for yourself, this knowing that whatever you do does affect others positively or negatively, and that you completing this, whatever it is this task is, that you staying in motivation is going to move you further faster, and it's going to help those around you be elevated with you, right? A rising tide raises all boats. So when you're focused on that, then that is going to help you tackle the things that threaten or that um, lessen your ability to remain in those elements of autonomy and competence. And I hope that makes sense. So to recap, <laughs> in order to maintain your motivation, we get to tap into competence. Well, let me go back. Autonomy, which is what you can control. Competence, which is what you can do. And relatedness, which is why it is so important, which is why it's so connected to the rest of the world and why it means so much, not just to you, but to the people around you. I hope this has been helpful and I hope you have found incredible value in this conversation. I would love to know how you are doing so far this year and whether this conversation is helping you to maintain motivation. So send me your questions, your comments, your stories to Marcy at, Mar at MarciaMara.com because I would love to hear them. And in the meantime, for more resources, for free trainings, for just information on how to move forward and to achieve the success that you're looking for, leverage your story and excel in your self-leadership, head on over to marciamaro.com and schedule your path-paving 30-minute free talk where we will chat about your goals, your dreams, and what I can do to help you achieve them. Until next time, this has been Marcia Amaro and this has been Sincerely Speaking. Chat soon.